In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog Fathom at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammy and Sandy. Marguerite Lorenz joins us this week on Money Tales. Marguerite has navigated many challenges in her life. One occurred in October 2007, when her home, along with over 100 others in her neighborhood, burned to the ground. Marguerite and her two children, who were in middle school at the time, lost everything, including some objects that they didn't realize until later attached them to certain family memories. There were two strong forces that helped Marguerite's family at this time. First was a loving community that came together to provide for them. And the second was solid insurance coverage that provided them financial footing as they reestablished their lives after the disaster. Let me tell you more about Marguerite. She's a managing partner of Lorenz Private Trustees and has served as a professional trustee and executor for over 20 years. Marguerite is also author of the book, Ethics for Trustees 2.0, which explains the work of a fiduciary and the ethical considerations. She enjoys working with clients where the parent or grandparent worked hard to build a family business and wishes to keep their assets in trust for the protection and enjoyment of their children and grandchildren. Here are three key money topics Marguerite hits on in our conversation. First, what it was like to learn her craft as a paid apprentice with a caring mentor. Second, what it was like to live in financial survivor mode for years and years. And third, how insurance can be priceless. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now onto our conversation with Marguerite Lorenz. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cammie Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Hey, Sandy, I have a question for you around... Renting versus buying. Ooh, that's a meaty topic. <laughs> it is a meaty topic. And I'm going to start with a not very meaty item to consider. It, it came from a recent camping trip my family and I did with some friends. And my husband and I, we don't have any camping equipment. So we ended up at REI and bought a lot of camping equipment. Nice. Now I know where to yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> Come to us. We can rent it to you. So then I didn't even consider this, but my friend Ron, and it didn't surprise me, he rented it. He rented the tent. He had these really deluxe blow-up mattresses. We were quite jealous. Ron is just like my family. Like He doesn't know if his family's going to camp much. So he's like, I'll just get the service to deliver it. The cost is, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it fits with his budget. And we took the other side. Maybe we invested, hoping we will do more camping. Hope, hope. That's (laughs) a key word. So I'm just curious, Sandy, from 
a wealth manager's perspective, rent versus buy. I mean, obviously this could be camping equipment to a home. There's a lot of opportunity. It comes up oftentimes with cars, clients wanting to know whether they should lease a car or buy it. And the whole rent versus buy discussion is hard to do from a math perspective without knowing what your commitment is to the item that you're renting or buying. If in the case of a car, you're someone who likes to buy new cars, drive new cars all the time, and you're not really looking for that value of driving it to the ground, leasing can make a lot of sense. So if you have a sense of how long you're going to drive the car for, then you can start doing the math to figure out what the financially optimal answer is. In my experience, Cami, the financially optimal answer is not often the best answer for the individual making the decision because it really becomes a lifestyle decision. I'm really glad you said that because we need a new car and I do not like the process of getting a new car. So I think we're going to buy it. But I was thinking maybe we should lease it because it's more economically correct. But I hate that in five years, I got to do the whole thing over again. It just depends. If you're someone who drives a lot, the lease doesn't tend to make a lot of sense. It's a really good question. I wish there was an easy one fit answer for everybody, but it really just depends. In this world that we live in currently, it is amazing how many things that you can rent versus buy. So camping equipment was not on my list, but of course there are clothes. You can rent clothes. I mean, you could just baby furniture. Yes, Yes. baby furniture. People outgrow things very quickly. But I also wanted to add, maybe it's really a business expense. Maybe you need to think about it in context of how you live your life. And maybe you do want to rent for a while until you decide this is something you really want. That's a really good point, Marguerite. And that actually comes up a lot when people are thinking about housing, right? If you're moving to a new area, you're not quite sure what neighborhood you want to live in or how long you're going to be there. Renting can be a phenomenal choice rather than buying a home and having to be stuck with all those expensive selling expenses. If you were to sell the home in a short period of time, that can really change your investment. I have a quick example of that. My partner and I were in business for almost nine years before we bought our own office building. So you're renting space. It's hard to pay that landlord and not get the service that you're hoping for, not to have control over your space as you grow. Consider that too that if you're renting space to run your business, someday the goal might be to actually buy your space. And what caused you guys to ultimately make that decision to buy? I'd been shopping for nine years and finally found the right opportunity and the right price and the right area. So you always wanted to invest in the building where you'd run your business? Yes. My dream was little old lady rental income. Ah, I love it. Oh, this is going to be so good, Marguerite. (laughs) Let's actually take a moment. Let's welcome you on Money Tales, Marguerite Lorenz. It's great to have you. Well, thank you so much. I'm Marguerite Lorenz. I'm a private trustee and executor. I work with elderly clients who keep their estate plans up to date, and I'm the one they trust to put their plan into action. That's important. Would you provide a little bit more of an introduction? Share a couple pivotal moments that happened in your life that really influenced who you are today? Jane Lorenz is my stepmother, who I met when I was six years old. She was the first adult in my life who looked me in the eye, asked me how I was, and expected me to answer. This person became my goal. I wanted to be like Jane, not in every little thing, but in a lot of things. Poised, confident, beautiful, really smart, and very kind. 
she seemed to be infinitely patient, but she would tell you herself that patience was the very thing she was working on all the time. (laughs) And so to have someone who's working so hard to be patient, but to appear that way all the time was amazing to me that you could actually change yourself, that you could really grow, not just have words, but actually have that kind of growth. Years later, my life had kind of blown up. I was newly divorced, raising my children 100% on my own in Los Angeles, hoping to buy some place to live and discovering that in Los Angeles at that time in my life, it was impossible. This is the early 2000s. And I was visiting Jane once a month on the weekend and started working as her consultant. She'd had a tax practice since 1975 as a solo practitioner, had a couple nice ladies working for her. But does she retire or does she take on a partner and grow? And I got a job opportunity. So I call up mom, mom, I got to talk to you about this. I've been offered this job as national director of marketing for a small software company, but I'd have to move to Phoenix. I don't like Phoenix. What do I do? And I have to start over with childcare and start over with boys in school and all that stuff. And she said, you're willing to leave Los Angeles. You should come down to Fallbrook. You should be partners with me. I had never considered being a private trustee or executor. I didn't even know that job existed before Jane told me about it. I didn't know anything about estate planning. I didn't know that that was part of what a lot of adults do. And unfortunately, not enough adults do. And I'm in this world. What do I do? So I moved into a trailer on her property and lived there for two and a half years with my kids. They got to have a huckleberry fin kind of experience, toads in their pockets. Super fun. Oh gosh, fresh fruit off the trees and Fallbrook. It's paradise in Northern San Diego. And I followed her, shadowed her, went with her to meetings, went to continuing education opportunities, got certified as a California professional fiduciary and eventually licensing came true for us and we got licensed as fiduciaries. And then I got my certified trust and fiduciary advisor designation through the American Banking Association, Institute of Certified Bankers. And just continuing to build and grow and take on clients and so on. So I've officially been a private trustee now for 20 years. And I would say Jane, her lifetime, she passed away in 2017. Jane was a pivotal moment in my life, just being with her, just learning from her, just being intimate with someone who had figured out so much. What great modeling. How lucky you are to have had her in your life. Yes. There's nothing quite like a mentor who loves you. And it's so fascinating because you said she started her practice in 1975. And of course, I don't have statistics here, but I'm guessing she's part of a minority because there aren't that many women-owned businesses today in terms of a large percentage of the overall family-run businesses. So that's amazing, Marguerite. Yes. She was one of two women in her accounting class in college. So yes, she was remarkable and tough and always learning, always figuring out a way to get through certain obstacles by presenting herself as a student. It's such a great lesson, especially in terms of the financial world. None of us can know everything. And if you're in the practice of hiring professionals, be their student. You don't have to do everything a professional advises you to do, but you really must consider it because in theory, they've had a lot more experience than you've had. They've seen a lot more different flavors of cases and situations and how this applies. 
and you only have your one case. You only have you. So there's a real advantage in learning to work with professionals. Marguerite, that's a beautiful way of saying it. And I wonder if you could unpack it a little bit more. Being a student, tell us what that means to you. So I grew up with a very professorial dad. My father was the smartest man I knew. He wanted you to know that. My weekends with my dad, because I'm a child of divorced parents, and each of my parents remarried a few times. So if you do all the counting and figure it all out, I might be one of 11 children, but truly I'm just the only one of my kind. (laughs) And so having a dad who wanted to take this compact area of time this weekend and teach me as much as possible was early adaptation, survival adaptation. Okay, I'm a student. Every weekend I'm with my dad, I'm a student. But where it really applied for me is that that awareness that I cannot possibly know everything. And yet as a professional trustee and executor, I am responsible for everything, really, whether I know about it or not. And if you're thinking that your child is just going to go ahead and be your successor trustee, when they have their own conflicts of interest, when they're also your beneficiary, you're putting them in a terrible spot. Let's take a moment and just think about it this way. Are they really going to learn what you need now? Because what happens to for adult children is we're stuck with the idea that we have of mom and mom might have been in her 40s and we're like eight or 10 years old. And that's a powerful mom. That's somebody who's definitely in her power, in charge, tells us what to do. And we must do what she tells us to do at that age. And now you're 60 and mom is closer to 90. Is mom in her power? Well, maybe not. Maybe you're finally lucky enough to be in the driver's seat and you get to do all the in-charge stuff. Is that really what mom wants? That really lucky. (laughs) I've had a mom call me and say, I'm ready for you to be my successor trustee. I don't want my daughter anymore. Why? What happened? You picked your daughter. We had this conversation. We've had this conversation a few times and I'm totally fine. You have whoever you want as your successor trustee. I've got plenty of work. We're good. And she calls me and tells me that her daughter treats her like a paper doll. This lady can't even control the thermostat because her daughter knows everything. Oh, the knows everything. Is daughter really a student for what's best for this human being? Or does she know what mom needs? So it's those lessons I've had over the years in working with my clients, really seeing 90-year-olds up close and understanding that they're people, sexy, fun, intelligent, sometimes self-disciplined, sometimes not. And what they need now may be different than what they needed in their 40s. And they didn't even know that till they arrived at this place. I had the cutest conversation with a 92-year-old the other day, and he said, I'm ready to talk to you because I want to plan for the future. I love that attitude. But you've arrived. You're in your future. You're here. You're 92. So what's different now? Well, I want to stay in my home no matter what. Okay, now the professional hat goes on and says, well, let's talk about what that looks like. Let's talk about what that really looks like. You talk about renting. Now you're renting a person to help you because you can't do everything. You can't open that jar. You can't walk up the stairs. And how is that going to work? Where's your laundry room? Where's your kitchen? Where's your bathroom? And so we start talking about those things. You may not know, but having a professional caregiver whose payroll is being handled appropriately and making sure that that person has workman's comp and has insurance and has all those things. That's $50 an hour. That's $1,200 for 24 hours. It's about $8,400 a week. See where I'm going. 
36,000 a month. So if you haven't thought about how you're going to afford to stay in your own home, and please, I hope it's a single story. Please, I hope that it has a good space and that you have someplace for someone to sleep there to look after you in the night. You need to talk to your professionals and get some advice. And if you're 50 something and hearing this and you think you've got it all figured out for mom and dad, don't forget the emotional component that might be included in that and how irritated you're going to be on different days. I'm glad you brought that up, Marguerite, the emotional part, right? Because on Money Tales, we talk a lot about money and how there's two sides of it. There's the technical side, and you've talked a lot about the technical skills in your area of helping people evaluate different decisions, but there's that emotional side. And that emotional side is where decisions get made. And I'm curious, as you look back on your life, you mentioned that you grew up as one of one and also one of 11. Tell us what it was like being part of blended families from a money perspective as you were younger, and especially the emotional side of that. My natural mother married a tyrant, a man with very little education, whose only power was bullying people. I was nine years old when I realized that adults don't really have it together. My mother worked hard. She worked as a waitress and worked a lot of odd jobs and just did whatever she could to survive. One day she takes me to where she kept her little accordion file where all the bills were kept and told me, don't tell him, but I don't have any money to pay these bills. I'm nine. I have a couple of half siblings. They're little kids. And my nine-year-old self is thinking, what do I do about this? I could babysit. I have some house cleaning skills. I'm start thinking about how to rent myself out. What am I going to do to fix this problem? And their situation didn't really get much better. Their spending habits were terrible. He would get money. He would work as a painting contractor or something and suddenly be flush. And now we're going to a department store to buy new clothes. And I would stand there with my arms crossed and say, I don't need anything because I knew the truth. T-shirts and jeans are fine for me. I didn't even know about thrift stores then. Otherwise, I would have insisted my family go to a thrift store. Wow, you had to grow up so fast as a result of this. Oh, yeah. And often if I said anything like, you know, we probably don't need to spend the money on that. I could bake bread. I could do this thing in the house and so on. And I'd be asked questions like, what do you know? You don't know anything. You're a kid. Oh, okay. Jane was in your life telling you, no, you can do stuff. You're smart. Yeah, Jane showed up for me. And I would have these occasional conversations with Jane and my father, who again, were these calm, reasonable people who took my inquiries, took my thoughts, and then asked me more questions or asked me what I thought about that. We had amazing dinner conversations. And I learned to just shut up in the household that I grew up in. So it was interesting to grow up with that paradox. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I know a lot of people in my generation have parents who divorced and ended up adapting, right? You end up being one way in one household and being another way in the other household because you have to survive this. And sometimes none of them are making good decisions. That's tough when you see lots of different perspectives. And I'm curious, Marguerite, as you moved into adulthood, how did this manifest in your own relationship with money? I became very cautious. I could not wait to move out of the house I grew up in. So I signed my lease on my 18th birthday. I got the hell out of there as quickly as I could. 
And I ended up having a terrible roommate as my first roommate, but she had money to help with the first deposit and all that stuff, security deposit and that kind of thing. And I was earning about $600 a month working two days a week so I could go to community college full-time. So I had 18 units, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I worked Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I just did the best I could to earn enough. So I earned barely enough. Rent for the apartment was $5.95 a month and I was earning $600. So I had to rent out that other room to survive. So survival was a mode I was in probably for years and years until Jane and I became partners. And when you were in survival mode, did you have the capacity to look beyond that? To some degree. I'd always wanted to have my own business. I ended up moving to New York. I married a mechanic. We opened a shop. So I've had a Mercedes-Benz repair shop with the greatest mechanic on the Eastern seaboard, but he had a drug problem. When I realized it, I had to get out of there. I've started over a few times in my life and meeting the right men and having the right male partner was definitely not something I was trained for. And in my life now, I have the best partner a woman could have. My husband is retired. He does the laundry. He cooks. He loves me. He's supportive. He is the best partner I could ever have. And we have this really delightful life. We found a 55 plus community. I live in a single story house. I am practicing what I preach. Life is great. And pickleball is so much fun. Oh, pickleball is so much fun. So much fun. I could talk to you a lot about that. (laughs) So in terms of being able to find the right partner, I would say that the number one advice I would give is to do your best to be the partner you want to have. Oh, that's great advice. If you want someone who's fiscally responsible, you want someone who's honest, you want someone who's not going to show up and there's a new car in the driveway when you come home. You want someone who understands that the future is important to both of you and that you plan accordingly. And I'm a planner. I've always been a planner. Obviously. Yeah. Hey, Marguerite, will you share with us a little bit more about this time? You've made the decision. You're moving out of LA. You got your children with you and you're going to go live in a trailer in Jane's backyard and be a student and then grow. Tell us what were you doing from a money standpoint at that point? And were you talking with people about your own personal financial situation? Oh, I was not sharing my own personal financial situation. That wasn't my job. My job was to really learn the situation of the people we were serving because there's the care component. Then there's just the quality of life component. So I'm living in a trailer, which by the way, I could not lift my arms up over my head in said trailer. I felt like the ogress had moved to the spring cave You know, I was just in this tiny space, bumping my head constantly in my own little home. We're sharing a five-gallon hot water tank. And my boys were in third and fourth grade at the time. And they were such troopers. They were so sweet and so willing. They must have loved it, actually. Yeah, except for the bug bites. And, you know, I would walk the long driveway, thousand-foot long driveway to mom's house, which we also had our office space on. So I was not sharing my financial situation, but I was paying rent to live in the trailer. We were paying rent to Jane's husband to pay for the office. And we had storage under the house for the documentation and for everything that we had to keep as trustees. I finally was able to buy my own place. A few years into this experience, I bought a mobile home in Valley Oaks Mobile Home Ranch, as if they grow them there. 
it was this beautiful spot. The park had been there since 1967. I had big oak trees and camellia trees, and I had a triple wide. It was a palace compared to the trailer. I was really proud of the fact that I had a $600 a month space rent. I had $600 a month payment, my mortgage payment, and it was on me. I could pay my own mortgage. I paid insurance during escrow and I got great advice from a person that had worked with my mom for like 20 years. And he said, if you're willing to spend just $60 a year more, I figured, okay, I'll skip a Trader Joe's trip. But if I could do that, then I have really good coverage. Great. I paid one more insurance premium. And then my home, along with 105 other homes, burned down October 23rd, 2007. That changes things. And that was a huge moment in my life in terms of what do you do now? The insurance people were awesome. The tragedy, the crisis, how many people they had to deal with at once. And a loss like that is huge. You lose your grandparents' things. You realize your attachment to certain objects to promote certain memories. There are things I never got to tell my kids about because they were still young kids. They were in seventh and eighth grade by this time. And I'll share a really sweet moment with you that my boys and I had been invited to go to a church that had set up clothes by size in their beautiful multi-purpose room, table after table of children's clothes. And my children were directed to their tables, their suitable tables for shoes and socks and underwear. I mean, it was really thorough. A mom did this. You know, a mom put this together. It was so well done. And my older son comes back to me, says, mom, are we allowed to take these things? I said, well, we were invited to do so. We're recovering. And he said, yeah, but all this stuff is so much nicer than the stuff we had before. So sweet. We had moments and moments like this where I realized what a kind community we were in by the time we got to Christmas of that year. So keep in mind that October 23rd is when the house burned down. Now we're in the month of December. Kids are getting ready to go on their Christmas vacations. We got invited to a middle school that provided us with a Christmas for my kids. Amazing. And by then I'd lost my voice. I couldn't talk anymore, right? All I could do is hug these children who'd saved up newspapers or saved up money. Kids donated their own money so my kids could have Christmas. And when the principal gave me a check after that, all I could do was cry. All I could do was cry. It was amazing. So I've been in a place, Cami, where I had nothing. And I really understand that feeling of having nothing. Oh, someone said, well, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, you attracted the fire. Huh? And I said, no, you know, the law of attraction. You've heard about mm -hmm. that, right? I said, no, that's not what I attracted. What I attracted was all the love and support because natural disasters happen, people. That's right. They happen. And if you don't have insurance, please talk to your financial advisor. Please talk to someone about what you might need. You might not realize how much coverage you actually need, and you probably need more than you're paying for. Prices have gone up for everything. Please review this. And because I got that insurance money, we were able to buy a beautiful two-story home in Fallbrook within walking distance of the high school. And it was such a big change of life for us. And that was just a down payment. I was still the super mom still paying the mortgage on my own. But to have this fresh start, to really be a student all over again of getting through this, because you know everybody else is looking for a house too. Everybody else is trying to rebuild. Fires and other natural disasters really cause the price of things to go up in that area, don't they? And competition is fierce. Sure. It all has an effect. 
People don't think about that. Yeah. So I hope that your home never burns down. I hope you don't experience a flood. We each tend to live our own lives, especially with the pandemic, especially coming out of it. We're on our own. A lot of us are not even going back into the office as much as we did before. And there's a kind of isolation that happens. So the other thing I really want to tell you is no human lives well all alone. If you haven't figured out how to have your people, and whether it's virtual or if it's in person, do it. Stay connected. Make the effort. Quality of life doesn't happen in isolation. Such an important message. You've mentioned now different periods in your life where you've had to start over. What are the keys to starting over? Because it's something that many of us have to do during our lifetime. And I'm wondering what your insights are and how that might help listeners who are going through something where they feel like they are starting their life afresh. I think you have to start with what's making you miserable now. There's some thing that's going to drive you out of wherever you're living, wherever you're working, whatever you're doing day to day. And it's good to take a day to kind of mark how you're living your life. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed at night, if you could just track one day, just so you could see it, because a lot of us are so invested in our habits and in our life that we don't step back and look at, am I doing the things that make me happy? Am I getting to have the conversations? Am I getting to have the intellectual stimulation? Am I getting to have those things? Some of us are so tied to our work that we don't have an identity without it. But you don't necessarily know that until there's no work. So I'm just inviting everyone who's listening, just take one day, a day in the life. You're worth it. You matter. And if you don't think you matter, I'm here to tell you, you absolutely do. Everyone has their gifts. So now you've done this examination and now you've realized you're not happy. And in making that change, it is good to think about what would make you happy The key with happiness that I've learned from a lot of my elders is that you have to choose to be happy. You can be happy even as you're making this change, even as you're deciding to move out. Moving out is scary. Living by yourself again is scary. Is it really any worse than having someone come home who's a bully? It's tough to get away. And I just put my heart out there for women who are struggling with that question. What do I do? Figure it out. You will. I know that when you're ready, you'll know you have choices and there'll be some ally. There'll be somebody who can help you because that's the other thing. Even if it's an attorney who's willing to take your paltry payments, because this is how I got divorced from the father of my children. I had to run away. So I've had that experience of really being afraid every day. And, you know, I'm smart. I'm capable. I'm a planner. But even this surprised me. So I'm just putting it to you that you can make a big change in your life. It's good to gain allies, even if it's not your family, if it's no one you feel safe you can talk to that wouldn't get back to the person that's scaring you or the bad situation that you're in or the terrible boss you have, whatever that is that's going on, if it needs to be a professional, do it. Tell that professional you don't have a lot of money. Tell that person that you're going to make small payments for a while and keep your promises. If you say you're going to pay $50 a month, do it. That's how I escaped. I ended up having someone that was in my corner. He wasn't there the day that I left. He wasn't the one who helped me pack up. But knowing that I had that attorney in my corner made a huge difference for me in being able to change my life. I think that's such an important message. I'm really appreciative of you sharing your story and bringing that to life. I'd like to 
hit on something that brings you such great joy, which is your job. And in that job, you get to talk money all day long. So <laughs> maybe share some of your favorite money conversations you've had as a private trustee. One of the best things I can do for people is to ask them about their assets, to ask them about their plans, and then to tell them you have plenty. Mm-hmm. Believing that we have plenty is a huge change in one's inner life. A lot of us work all the time. We work hard. We hope for a retirement at some point, And we're worried that we'll never have enough. I'm not enough somehow. Me as a person, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough Gucci bags or Mercedes-Benz cars or whatever your measure is of whatever enough is. But I will tell you that if you look at the basics, do you have enough to keep yourself warm and dry in the winter? Do you have a nice home? Is it your dream to pay it off? Do you have a car that you own? Maybe you're leasing it. But that idea of having enough is such a powerful thing that when I'm able to deliver that to a client, there's nothing better than that. Now, I'm not the right fit for every client. I work with ultra high net worth people. We're talking about people that have $30 million or more. Even they have worries about not having enough. If you're struggling from month to month, paycheck to paycheck, I want you to know that people who have a lot more than you do also worry they don't have enough. Sometimes you have to make different lifestyle choices, like the conversation that we had about $50 an hour for a caregiver. One person said, well, I'm just going to do everything all by myself. I don't need a caregiver. Well, that's plan A. (laughs) Plan A is that we're going to fall asleep one night and not wake up the next morning. That's plan A. Mm -hmm. That's true for a lot of us. I appreciate that. But we also have to have a plan B. And plan B is if you want to stay in your home, don't tell me that you're self-insured. You may or may not know what that means because the caregiver price that I described is just one cost. If you're still paying a mortgage, if you still have utilities, property taxes, insurance, there's still so much you have to consider. So your financial advisor is key to having those initial conversations that money is not the only consideration in living well. And understanding what quality of life means to that individual client is everything. It's everything. Does that mean looking at the ocean once a week? Does it mean being able to have your friends over? What does it mean? What does quality of life even mean? And a lot of us haven't defined that for ourselves. So how can I budget if I don't even know what being happy looks like? Marguerite, these are such great points. And I really (laughs) like your focus on choosing happiness, realizing when you have enough and focusing on that quality of life. We are curious, what is your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? Now that I have 20 years of experience in my work and I have the most amazing partners and staff anyone could possibly have, Lorenz Private Trustees is made up of some very incredible human beings who really love their work and love our clients. I'm so grateful. I get to go on vacations. I actually get to travel. And I'm delighted to share with you that I recently traveled to Europe with one of my sons. Both my sons kind of sacrificed their childhoods for my career. And I love them for it. And I appreciate their patience. And now that we're all grownups, we get to travel together. So I've been to London and that was amazing with my younger son. And next year I go to Japan with my older son. So I'm seeing parts of the world and getting to travel. And with my beautiful husband, we love going on cruises. Those are the money conversations I'm going to have is about enjoying quality time with the people I love most. 
Oh, that's amazing, Marguerite. Would you share with our listeners, what's the best place for them to find you? Start with our website, which is mytrustee.net, M-Y-T-R-U-S-T-E-E dot N-E-T, mytrustee.net. It's a great way to get acquainted with the trustees. I'm one of five partners and I happen to be the oldest. So you're really in luck. If you have a bright future and you want the right successor trustees for you, that's where to find them, mytrustee.net. I love it. What a great story. And thank you again for joining us on Money Tales. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.